You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. this morning. Never know what you're going to get that first Sunday of spring break week. So glad that you're here. Thanks for bringing the church into this building. Uh, If we haven't met, my name is Jamie, one of the pastor elders of our church. The guy who most Sundays gets the privilege of the task and responsibility of preaching God's word as we gather in spaces like these. Surely the case this morning Just finished up a series in the book of Ruth. If you're new to our church, if you weren't around for that series, I would commend that to you to go online and listen to those podcasts. Uh, It's a good way to kind of understand the lens through which we look at the scriptures as a church, particularly going back to the Old Testament. Of course, we see Christ all over the New Testament. We as a church believe that the Bible, old and new, is not just a bunch of piecemeal stories brought together with the aim of stories like that of David to slay your own giants, but rather ultimately that the Bible is one great story of redemption with Jesus, its hero, from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. As we studied the book of Ruth, we saw that Jesus is the greater Boaz, our greatest kinsman, redeemer, having come to rescue us uh, from the the greatest of plights. And so I would commend that series to you if you want to get a little bit of a taste of who we are as a church, how we view scripture through the lens of which we preach it. We teach the kids back in the kids wing. We talk about it in community groups, etc. This morning, having come out of the book of Ruth last Sunday, we come together now for what's known on the Christian calendar as Palm Sunday. James mentioned it. It's the day uh, when many within the Christian community traditionally commemorate Jesus's entrance into the city of Jerusalem in the final days leading up to his death and resurrection, given the name Palm Sunday because of the branches that were spread out before Jesus as he made his way into the city. A moment in which we see what uh, American revivalist preacher and theologian Jonathan Edwards once described as an admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies in Jesus Christ. The majesty of the, the lion of the tribe of Judah conjoined with the meekness and mercy of the lamb who would soon be slain. So that my aim this morning is simply to, to bring that admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies before us that we might worship Christ for his infinite majesty on the one hand and two, that we might worship him for his infinite meekness and mercy. Had a seminary professor in my hermeneutics class, hermeneutics being just a big theological word meaning Bible interpretation, that professor once said, you know, sometimes when you're preaching, the application is simply for the church to behold. Nothing for us to go out and do per se, but just to behold the goodness, glory, and grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so with that, I would say this is a beholding sermon. You're not gonna walk away with a few things to go out and do for the glory of Christ this week, simply just to open your eyes and see the beauty, the majesty, the meekness, the wonder of the diverse excellencies uh, that are conjoined in the person of Jesus Christ for what they are. With that, I'll invite you to open up your Bible to Luke chapter 19. We'll be in verses 35 through 44 this morning. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath one of the seats in the row in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those Bibles, open it up, use it during our time together this morning. If you don't own a Bible, 
please take that Bible home as the church's gift to you. Let me go ahead and pray for us, and we'll jump into God's word together. Heavenly Father, the notion in any of our minds that heaven will be boring is a complete misfire on our parts. It will surely not be boring because we will never cease to have our minds and hearts awakened to more and more of the beauty and wonder of who you are. As one pastor put it, we'll we'll scale one mountain only to then find ourselves as we stand at the peak looking out and seeing cascades upon cascades of more mountains that await us. And so I pray this morning that, that we would see some glimpse of your goodness, of your glory, of your grace, and the person of Jesus Christ, that you would awaken our minds and hearts from their slumber this morning, that, that we would sing with hearts full as we sit with your word in front of us of the infinite majesty and infinite meekness and mercy that are conjoined together in the person of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we're desperate for you to move in power this morning. Would you do that? As we sit with this means of grace that is the preaching of your word, would you give me a feeling sense of the things I preach along with everyone else in this room, perhaps joining in on a live stream from somewhere else even now? And may you get the glory and may the the joy be ours as we come together in spaces like these once again. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So at this point in Luke's gospel account, we can't do a full catch-up of 19 chapters and change, but we can at least acknowledge that Jesus finds himself at this point just outside the city of Jerusalem after a few years of ministry, the city in which his very own words would soon be fulfilled, the, the redemptive promise of a crucified and risen Messiah. Surrounded, Jesus is in this moment by a great many people pouring into the the city, having come to Jerusalem for the annual celebration of Passover. Upwards of six times the normal population. 200,000 people, 100,000 sheep for temple sacrifices. The city crazy in this moment every year. A rehearsing, the people coming together to rehearse and celebrate over the course of several days the, the story of God's rescuing of his people from Egyptian enslavement. The story of the Exodus, a pivotal moment in the chronicles of redemptive history. A story in which Jesus would soon find himself immersed in the days leading up to his death, singing and praying in the temple courts, surrounded by the sacrifice of countless paschal lambs well aware of the the destiny awaiting him, having courageously journeyed onward to the city of Jerusalem nonetheless. Christ the Lamb without blemish or spot who would soon give his life as a sacrifice for sinners. As we pick up this morning's passage, Jesus has just sent two of his disciples into a nearby village to retrieve a young donkey on which no one had ever sat, suggesting something of a, a purity a consecrated animal destined for an incredibly sacred purpose. So that we're told in verse 35 of Luke 19, and they brought it, that is the young donkey, to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. 
And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Here we're, we're brought face to face with, to use Jonathan Edwards' language, the admirable conjunction of the infinite majesty and surpassing meekness that meet in the person of Jesus Christ. On the one hand, infinite majesty here brought before us in at least six different ways. For one, Verse 35, we see the majesty of Christ in the disciples laying of their cloaks on the foal's back and their lifting of Jesus up onto the animal. Both acts of exaltation on the disciples' part. Second, we see the majesty of Christ in that it was the foal of a donkey on which Jesus rode. Verse 35, as the donkey was seen as a royal animal in the days of David and Solomon. The riding of a donkey and entering a city, an act of kingship, of royalty. Third, we see the majesty of Christ in the spreading of people's cloaks on the road. Verse 36. And with the many cloaks, palm branches, according to the other gospel accounts. An act of honor, an act of admiration, the rolling out of the red carpet for Jesus, so to speak. Fourth. We see the majesty of Christ in the rejoicing and praise of his disciples in recognition of all the mighty works that, that they had seen. Verse 37, from the exercising of his lordship over the fish of the sea and filling Peter's boat with such a catch that the boat nearly sank to the exercising of his lordship over the institution of the Sabbath and healing a man with a withered hand. Not to mention the calming of the storm on the Sea of Galilee and exercising the power of his divine lordship over the natural world and the healing of a man possessed by a legion of demons in exercising that same power over the supernatural world and calming the storms of demonic oppression and attack. And then there was the feeding of 5,000 men and their families with nothing more than the contents of a little boy's lunch pail. And the healing of a woman with a 12-year infirmity of severe hemorrhaging only to outdo himself and soon after raising a 12-year-old little girl from the dead. All of these mighty works and more flooding the, the minds and hearts of the many who had seen Jesus perform these wondrous miracles along the way. Fifth, you see the majesty of Christ in the shouts of Hosanna, verse 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. A traditional Passover greeting, these words taken from Psalm 118. A hymn of praise to the Lord who defeats his enemies and establishes his kingdom. The shouts of the people that first Palm Sunday, much like those of the angels in, in their pronouncement of the birth of Christ, going back to chapter 2 of Luke's gospel account where the angels declared glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Sixth, 
See the majesty of Christ in the interaction that Jesus has with the Pharisees. Verses 39 and 40. As they command Jesus to rebuke his disciples for their shouts of blessing and praise of Jesus as a king. To which, notice, Jesus didn't respond. You're right, they they shouldn't be doing that. They shouldn't be praising me. Rather, what does he say? He says, if they don't do it, the rocks will. The way only one who believes himself to be Lord would respond. Recognizing that all of creation, all of creation was made for the glory of the Lord. So that creation will give Christ praise should all of humanity fail to do so. This is one of those moments in scripture where C.S. Lewis's Lord, liar, lunatic comes to bear. Where Lewis argued that to call Jesus a good teacher and nothing more is nonsensical because Jesus didn't describe himself and talk that way. No one who's simply a good teacher would say, should all of humanity fail to praise me, nature will do it. Those are the words of a liar or they're the words of a crazy man or they're the words of the Lord of creation. On the one hand, infinite majesty here brought before us in at least six different ways and yet at the same time, Surpassing meekness. The scene in Luke 19, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy as it was written long ago by the prophet Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In one sense, A seventh expression of Jesus' infinite majesty. As notice, he, he doesn't stumble his way into the fulfillment of this prophecy. It's not like the prophecy that he would be born of a virgin or be born in a particular city. Rather, this is a deliberate public demonstration on Jesus's part right outside the city at Passover. Sending his disciples for the foal of a donkey. A purposefulness on Jesus's part. Here demonstrating himself to be the promised messianic king. Spoken of in the writings of the prophets of old. And yet conjoined with infinite majesty, a surpassing meekness. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. Riding not on a war horse as kings in his own day would, but meek and lowly on the foal of a donkey. In the words of one scholar, a borrowed beast of burden. The inbreaking of the messianic kingdom. It's not what many might expect, it's not what many did expect in Jesus' day. And yet more wondrous and beautiful in its admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies. Meekness itself, something of a, a multifaceted jewel. It's a hard word to define. You can just keep spinning it. It means radiant humility. It means compassionate approachability. It means patient endurance. It means a willingness to forgive. See it in the tears of Christ. 
which too are, are part of his triumphal entry. Verse 41, and when he, Jesus, drew near and saw the city, that is Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation." Here the story takes something of a surprising turn. As the triumphal entry of Jesus is revealed to be too, the tearful entry. That doesn't get as much press. The crowds rejoicing in this moment. The Lord of infinite majesty and glory weeping. The word translated wept. Carrying with it the idea of uncontainable, audible grief. We're not talking about a tear rolling down the cheek of Jesus. This is something more intense than that. As Jesus looks out on the city he had visited since boyhood, overcome in the moment with uncontainable, audible grief to be heard by everyone around him shouting Hosanna. The very name of the city of Jerusalem in part meaning peace. And yet on the verge of refusing her last chance to escape judgment. Jerusalem. The place from which the, the gospel would soon go forth to all nations. And yet here the symbol of Israel's rejection of the Messiah. The inbreaking of God's kingdom right in front of them. Not in the, the visible, observable expression that they, they might have been expecting. Yet right in front of them nonetheless, the admirable conjunction of infinite majesty and surpassing meekness and mercy, the triumphal and tearful visitation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. As Jonathan Edwards himself wrote, there never was such an instance seen on earth of a meek behavior under injuries and reproaches and towards enemies, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. He had a wonderful spirit of forgiveness, was ready to forgive his worst enemies, and prayed for them with fervent and effectual prayers. With what meekness, Edward says, did he appear in the ring of soldiers that were condemning and mocking him? He was silent and opened not his mouth, but went as a lamb to the slaughter. Thus is Christ a lion in majesty and a lamb in meekness. This is not the king that, that many expected or wanted. Shouts of, of Hosanna, as many of us know, soon to be drowned out by the shouts, crucify him. Shouts that if we lean in just closely enough and listen, are, are not absent of our own mocking voices calling out among the scoffers. We all, at times, we, we want a rescuer on our own terms. One who fits our own Messiah narratives. A savior 
on our own terms, to rescue us from our own personal hells, whatever they may be. It was my sin too that nailed him there until it was accomplished. Jesus, he's not the Messiah that many expected or wanted, but he's the Messiah that every sinner needs. Diverse in his excellencies, worthy of all praise. As Edwards goes on to write, Christ appeared at the same time and in the same act as both a lion and a lamb. He appeared as a lion in the hands of his cruel enemies, as a lamb in the paws and between the devouring jaws of a roaring lion. Yea, he was a lamb actually slain by this lion. And yet at the same time as the lion of the tribe of Judah, he conquers and triumphs over Satan, destroying his own destroyer. As Samson did the lion that roared upon him when he rent him as he would a kid. And in nothing, Edward says, has Christ appeared so much as a lion in glorious strength, destroying his enemies as when he was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. In his greatest weakness, he was most strong. And when he suffered most from his enemies, he brought the greatest confusion on his enemies. Thus, he says, this admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies was manifest in Christ in his offering up himself to God in his last sufferings. Palm Sunday and the ensuing days leading up to Easter invite us to behold the goodness, the glory, and the grace of God in the admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies in Jesus Christ. Infinite majesty and surpassing meekness. The triumphal and tearful visitation of God in Jesus. This might be one of the shortest sermons I ever preach. And yet perhaps one of the most wondrous to sit with in terms of considering what it means. The, the admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies, diverse beauties coming together in Jesus. I would commend to you, go read Edward's sermon by that title, The Admirable Conjunction of Diverse Excellencies in Jesus Christ. He goes further than majesty and meekness. That's just one example of many that, that he unpacks. It'll make your head spin. It'll make you recognize, if you haven't yet, that this is not a Christ that you can carry around in your pocket. He's not that small. We get to worship this big, glorious Jesus now with our corporate song. And I would just encourage you, but before we begin to sing, there will be some space before the first lyrics are brought before us, to just sit with the so what of this passage. Hey, Lord, what do, you, what do you have for me? Have I boiled you down to something smaller than you are, Jesus? Have I put an expectation on you to be a rescuer on my own terms, to be a, a functional savior that would deliver me from my own personal hells? And therefore, have I boiled down your work of redemption to something smaller than it is, perhaps something it's not even meant to be? 
for more than 20 years of my life, I went to summer camp after summer camp as a kid, in and out of the church, mostly out. And I heard over and over again that this is a Jesus that you need as a rescuer from sin, a savior that that you desperately need. It wasn't until I was in my early 20s that for the first time I heard someone preach a sermon of Christ the Savior, also Christ the Lord and King, in a way that I fell on my face and had to recognize for the first time that I was carrying God around in my pocket, at least in my mind. I would ask, how big is your view of Jesus? How multifaceted is the jewel of Christ that you spin? We get to worship him with our song. We get to shout, Hosanna. We get to recognize that it was our sin that nailed him there. Also, worship through the receiving of the Lord's Supper. If you're not a Christian, I would encourage you not to partake of the bread and the cup, but that your next step would be one of repentance and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. If you wanna talk about what that even means, would love to connect with you in the back of the auditorium over the course of the coming songs, perhaps set up a time to meet in the coming weeks. If you are a Christian, as many of you know, We take the bread representing the broken body of Jesus and dip it in the cup representing his shed blood. Communion stations at my left, my right. It's a gluten-free station in the back corner there. Over the course of these next few songs, between now and the end of our service, you're welcome to come and receive of those elements whenever you're ready to do so. As you do, I just encourage you to Praise Jesus for the the grace, the redemption that's ours in him. That his shed blood and broken body are sufficient enough to cover our past, present, and future sins, which means even the ways right now we boil him down to something less than he is and we'll do it in the future. What wondrous love is this, oh my soul. Let me pray for us and continue to worship Christ, our Savior, and our King. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O. S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.